We've always looked at it as the perfect balance is high touch and high tech. I think the gold standard for that is probably Apple stores. You know, when I go into an Apple store, if I need a really smart person to help me, I can be at the Genius Bar and talking to people. If I just want to be left alone and touch the various Apple toys, they will mostly leave me alone. Um, and I think that that's great. And inside of our businesses, we're constantly working on the tools, the systems, the training, the websites. But to a certain extent, everyone takes that for granted. The people part of it is why everyone stays with sort of the traditional brokerage models. And then you make exceptions all over the place for the things that come up in, with human beings and their issues. We have 1,400 individuals. You know, it's not just a big number. It's 1,400 separate people with issues that we think about every day. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where your host, Tracy Belt, Editorial Director of Real Trends, interviews the brightest minds in real estate. Each week, brokerage leaders, top agents, team leaders, and industry experts join Tracy to share trends, their secrets to success, and the lessons they learn navigating this ever-changing industry. Hi, I'm McKenna Clay, Events and Programs Specialist here at HW Media, and I am here to invite you today to our next event this summer. You might be wondering, how do you build a resilient brokerage? Or how are execs at companies like Remax and Keller Williams being strategic? Well, you can learn from the greatest minds in real estate at this year's Gathering of Eagles event. Join us in Austin, Texas, June 18th through 21st, as we bring together the most elite brokerage, association, and team leaders, C-suite leaders, and top producing agents to grow, network, and really set the pace for what's next in our industry. As a valued podcast listener, we're offering 25% off the event just for you. Use the code PODCAST23 on the events page on Realtrends.com. Again, that is PODCAST23, and we can't wait to see you in Austin. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where we speak to the brightest minds in real estate about leadership, business growth, trends, and strategy. I'm your host, Tracy Velt. I am the Senior Director of Data and Content for HW Media, which includes Real Trends and Housing Wire. And today we're speaking to Tom Bretz. He's the founding principal and CEO of Century 21 Circle with 1,400 sales associates in Illinois, Indiana, and Florida. And the firm was ranked number 77 by transaction sides in the Real Trends 500 rankings this year. So welcome, Tom. Thank you very much. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit. Uh, congratulations on your ranking. And just for uh, our audience, why don't you tell us a little bit about your company, um, your Century 21 firm, and then we'll go into your other um, firm as well. Sure. Century 21 Circle, uh, a little, around 1,400 sales associates, as you said, in three states, Illinois, Indiana, and Florida. We have uh, uh, a, about 40 offices or so. Our headquarters is in Skokie, Illinois, and uh, we've been in the brand for about 11 years. Okay, great. Um, so let's talk first about where your focus is today. Are, I, there are a lot of opportunities in the market, especially with M&A and walkovers and that. Um, are you looking at that or more organic growth or are you combining the two in a meaningful way? So our firm was kind of founded on M&A uh, activity. That was really my co-founder, Adam Freeman, and I, that was our background. And so we did about 40 or 50 mergers and acquisitions, a lot of smaller Century 21, some independents, some other brands, 
uh, over the years. For about five or six years, we did uh, a merger a month for about five years. So it was uh, it was pretty hectic. Um, you know, we got to a certain size and we just felt like it was a lot more important to organize the business and focus on uh, strategic uh, acquisitions as opposed to just, you know, throwing things over my shoulder every every month. So I would say the last year or so, uh, we've done four or five acquisitions. They've been more strategic. And at this moment, we're focused on really integrating our other uh, business units, our title company, our insurance company in and making sure that we have the best, most modern tools and systems for our agents uh, as uh, both our brand and the, uh, you know, kind of uh, market in general kind of changes a little bit. Um, and so I would say looking, you know, forward, we're excited about additional growth opportunities, but in strategic markets. Okay, great. And I want to talk a little bit about the structure because um, you are the CEO of Elmdale Partners. And I want to, it's a real estate investment company. And I want to, um, you know, talk a little bit about what you do with Elmdale and how it relates to your Century 21 office as well. Because I know you're in title insurance, invested in title insurance and in that <clears throat> as well. So. Right. Um, so Adam and I founded Elmdale uh, first before we had the Century 21, and we both have backgrounds in real estate service companies and real estate investments. And our, our goal was to really have a balanced company, right? The brokerage business is a great business and we love it, um, but it can be quite cyclical, quite seasonal. Uh, and so we always felt like we wanted to have other things that were a little bit uh differently structured so that we could weather all storms. Um, so we've been, uh, as you say, we purchased a couple of title companies and fused them together over the years, a property casualty insurance company. And then we own uh, a sizable uh, self-storage uh, platform that uh, provides uh, a nice, consistent cash flow stream uh, and profits to uh, invest more in brokerage. Yeah, that's so important with margin compression. And nowadays on the real estate, um, residential real estate side, uh, diversifying income is is really important. And I'm, I've definitely seen a trend toward um, kind of the the private equity or holding companies, um, you know, investing much like you're doing as well. Um, are you... Are you expanding that out to other brands? Are you keeping, are you, is Century 21 your only brand, um, your only office that you're expanding? Talk to me about that strategy a little bit. Sure. Well, um, we've been big fans of the brand since we started. We've purchased independent Cobalt Bankers, Keller Williams, Exit, uh, and we've all turned them all into Century 21s. Uh, we love the leadership. We love the brand. We think it's uh, a nice middle market brand that you can stretch up a little bit for sort of the, you know, the the sort of sub luxury stuff and and obviously into commercial and, you know, all different categories. So we're a fan of the brand. Um, you know, it's obviously there's lots of different owners in the brand. And so, you know, as we expand, there's different reasons. Some of them are older people who are looking to to exit financially. Others are you know, younger people who just want to be part of maybe a, a more comprehensive uh, organization. So um, we've found it to be uh, them to be creative. And, uh, and going forward, our plan is to just continue to own a nice, sizable Century 21 franchise. We were number two in unit sizes for that brand uh, worldwide last year. And we're really proud of that. 
So that's interesting. You said you had a Keller Williams because their business model is is different than you know a Century Twenty One. How? Tell me how that um, merger acquisition worked for you. Like how how did you make that transition? Yeah, and we've done a, a Remax or two in there also. Um, it's challenging. I mean, one of the big rules that we have with uh, with doing a merger is to not change people's compensation compensation packages. So I would say it's first and foremost hardest on our, our accounting services team who have to keep track of about six or 700 different uh, packages and, and compensation strategies. But ultimately, you know, the math is the math, whether it's desk fees, whether there are or aren't caps, whether, you know, whatever you're doing, a full split, a tiered split. I mean, all these different ways you're trying to get to a fair amount of company dollars so that we can run the business and a fair uh, amount of net money to the agent. And, you know, we're, we're, we're willing to meet people wherever they want the math to live, frankly, you know, and, and uh, have had that mentality since the beginning. So I, I think that regardless of what the brand is, you know, personally, obviously I'm a brand person. I believe in the franchise brand model. I believe the franchise fees are worth it. Uh, and we spend a lot of time showing uh, agents, you know, that, you know, a variety of different ways. We've had the hardest time with the independents, especially the discount independent models, having them roll into us. Um, most of those agents have made a choice. It's a good choice for them. It's fine to, to have less service and pay less money. And uh, we look at it like, uh, you know, there can be a, there can be a high service model and a low service model. And, you know, we, we choose high service. And, and uh, as long as those franchises, regardless of what they're called, uh, the agents want that as well. I think it works fine. Yeah, that's interesting um, because I know other brokers who are who are running multiple business models, but generally running them under different names. Whether it's like independents that are running different offices in different states under um, you know a different compensation model. So I, I've not really heard of anyone rolling them in, and then I, I assume you're giving the agents an opportunity to choose you know, if they want to stay on their current compensation model or move, or is that not even necessary? It's not even necessary. I mean, we're willing to, you know, we do the analysis on the front end and we yeah. look at what the agent's packages are. And if it doesn't work for us for one reason or another, we just don't do the deal. But like I said, one of our big internal conversations is always don't mess with people's money mm -hmm. because you're a stranger to them. And the first conversation you have with them cannot be, I'm changing your money. Yeah. Uh, even if the math works out net net the same, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people like the desk fee model because, it, you know, they, they just like thinking about a set number every month. Right. And other people don't like that. And um, who am I to, who am I to argue? Math yeah. is math as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and culture-wise, um, wise, how has that worked for for you? Um, you must have a strong culture to be able to retain those agents, obviously. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have over the years retained a lot of the people that we've bought out or merged in, whether they stay on in management, which is the case probably about half the time. And uh, or the other half of the time, um, they just become a sales associate with us. Um, I think it's real important for the agents to see that that person hasn't left. We haven't run them off. Um, and so, you know, that all, you know, is part of it. And then we we have fantastic team leaders, you know, our managing brokers, team leaders. We use that term kind of interchangeably. 
Um, you know, we spend a lot of time training them, not just on how to handle, you know, real estate issues, but also just the people issues that come up every day. Um, and then like, you know, this has become more and more a scale game, which is why you're seeing private equity and investment companies come in. It's very, very difficult to have uh, a middle ground size company. You're either real small or, or get to big fast here. Um, I think uh, that middle ground, you know, I've heard it referred to as Death Valley and it's, you know, it's where the agents insist on the services, but you don't have enough fees to really pay for the services. So um, we, as, as we got up over a thousand associates, we were pleased to have our own IT department, our own HR department, our own training and education department, marketing, et cetera. And having specialists in each of those allow our team leaders to just focus on the agents, taking care of them, walking through the issues, making sure they're available to them and, you know, retaining them and making sure that uh, those folks plus our wonderful uh administrative staff on administrative uh, professionals day uh, are also taken care of as critical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to kind of go back to Elmdale a little bit because I read that you have like a, a technology accelerator. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that and, and what, um, you know, who are you working with currently or what, what, you know, types of technology are you really looking at? Well, we've never been afraid to experiment in spaces that we you know, frankly, have no expertise. We're, we're willing to be humble and come in and say, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know what we're talking about. About uh, eight years ago, we saw a real opportunity in the accelerator space, prop tech accelerator space. Um, we uh, felt like it was a chance to get closer to the entrepreneurs who were trying all sorts of new concepts. And, uh, and so we formed something called Elm Spring, uh, we put it in uh, 1871 here in Chicago, and uh, we made about 40 or 50 investments. We sold it uh, two or three years ago to NAR, um, uh, mostly because uh, it had just gotten big enough, and we're not really technology experts uh, that we felt like, you know, and, and frankly, people were piling into the space, and we thought, okay, this is good. The need has been filled. There is capital. There are experts here now. Uh, the, uh, you know, us dabbling in it is probably time for us to move on. So uh, a gentleman named Bob Gillespie and NAR now run that for us. And we still have, I don't know, 15 or 18 active investments and a couple of uh, potential home runs. Okay, great. Interesting. Can you, any, any, um, can you tell us who these home runs might be? What's <laughs> that secret? Well, I don't want to insult anyone. But uh, one of the one of the one of the companies that uh, has had the highest valuation is uh, Kin Insurance, which is uh, uh, one of the insurtech companies, um, and uh, they've done great. We're excited to be part of them. Interesting. Okay. Um, have you noticed? You know, obviously the market has has shifted. Um, you know, it, it, I don't want to say it's it's a bad market. I, I think that every market is just different. Um, have you, has that impacted any of the investments that you've made? Has that made you, um, you know, increase your investments in companies or uh, how has that impacted you? Well, we've, we've certainly, um, you know, spent time the last six months just working on our business and organizing it. You know, whenever, whenever something changes quick and, you know, I, I, I certainly didn't see the Fed raising interest rates that fast that many times. Um, and so, you know, you just have to adjust. The, you know, 
whether you're talking about commercial or residential, the bid ask spread between what the sellers want to sell at, what the buyers now want to buy at is just a period of time that has to, you know, has to be waited out a little bit. I personally think if the Fed stops raising rates, knock on wood, uh, or at least slows it down to something very nominal, everyone will pile back into the market. So we're, we're kind of hoping for and counting on a better second half of uh, 2023. Um, and maybe a more normal market, but you know there really hasn't been a normal market since uh, since 2019. I mean, 2020 wasn't, 21 wasn't, 22 wasn't. So far, 2023. Uh, so, what is a normal market? You know, and 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 as far as making investments, we have a couple of acquisitions and mergers on the brokerage side. You know, that we're working on right now. I wouldn't say that we're you know um, you know doing a crazy number of them, uh, but uh, but we're definitely talking to a lot of people. And, and we always put people first, right? Like the acquisitions are really like, I, I met a great uh, broker owner and he wants to stay on a manage. And we think with our additional systems, we can make them more successful. That's a recipe for success. And we'll do those all day long in any market. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know that um, for a while there, some of the private equity um, guys have stopped investing in real estate for a period. I think they're starting to slowly come back in, um, but but not at the scale that they were before. So it'll be interesting how that changes in the next six months to a year. Um, so tell me a little bit about what you're doing to prepare your brokerage for the next couple of years. And by that, you know, there are a lot of industry threats, obviously, with the um, the commission class action lawsuits that are kind of hanging over everyone's head right now, uh, margin compression, the, the continued downward, um, you know, pressure on margins. What are some things that you're doing to kind of prepare your brokerage for potential threats? Well, I think, you know, having been in the industry now 12, 13 years, there's always been some existential threat to brokerage that has been talked about. Um, and uh, I have found many of those things to be overblown over the last 13 years. Look, you know, margin compression is real, but I think it's in, in anything that is consolidating that's going to happen. Um, there is a point at which People won't own brokerage or they won't sell houses if they don't make, you know, enough. And, you know, I think we're probably pretty close to that tipping point. It seems like every time there's a bull market and capital's available, um, you know, somebody raises a whole bunch of hundreds of millions of dollars with the idea of taking over brokerage with a volume play. And as they say, that generally doesn't work out very well for folks. So, um, you know, I'm not overly worried about that. As far as you know, the the you know the various lawsuits and things, um, you know, even if those come to pass, I think it's simply an education process of explaining to people why buyers agents are important. I believe in that model and making sure everybody is clear on who gets paid for what. This idea that people are quote free uh, is you know a little naive, but you know whatever uh, whatever needs to happen there. And then, you know, I, we've always looked at it as the perfect balance is high touch and high tech, right? I mean, people talk about that all the time. I think the gold standard for that is probably Apple stores. You know, when I go into an Apple store, um, if I need a really smart person to help me, you know, I, I can be at the Genius Bar and talking to people. If I just want to be left alone and touch the various Apple toys, they will mostly leave me alone. Um, and I think that that's great. And of course, they have great products. 
Um, so in inside of our businesses, we're constantly working on the tools, the systems, the training, the websites. We just actually rolled out a great uh, new website uh, that we're really proud of on our on our brokerage side. Um, and all those things are, are great. But uh, to a certain extent, everyone takes that for granted. You know, the, the big companies, you know, if you bank with Chase, you know, it's like almost like, why can't every bank have this? Well, they spend, you know, billions a year on that on that simple to use app that you love so much. Um, but, uh, but the people part of it is, uh, you know, is why everyone stays with sort of the traditional brokerage models. And, uh, and that's just really putting people over process, right? So you have systems, you have processes, you have standardization, and then you make exceptions all over the place for the things that come up in, with human beings and their issues, whether it's, I got to get paid a little earlier because I have a mortgage payment due or I'm going out of town or whatever comes up. I mean, we have 1400 individuals, not, you know, it's not just, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a big number. It's 1400 separate people with issues that we think about every day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ultimately real estate is all about relationships, whether it's relationships with your agents or your agents relationships with their sphere of influence. Um, so, so that, and that to me is the difference maker. It's why the, you know, I, I've been in the industry for 30 something years. So I remember the whole Zillow coming in and I remember the disruptors. Every other headline was they're disruptors. They're going to disintermediate the agent. That never happened. And the reason it never happened is because of the relationships that agents have and the, the value they bring to the table. Um, and so I'm seeing more partnerships with, with technology companies now and that rather than, um, them trying to go around the agent or broker, they seem to be partnering a little bit more with the agent or broker. Um, and I want to talk about technology a little bit because I, you know, there's this, you know, a lot of controversy over artificial intelligence and chat GPT. And I'm just wondering, are you looking into any of that for use in your brokerage? Um, are you wary of it? Or I think I see a lot of really good applications and then I also see concerning ones, but, um, tell me your thoughts. Well, I would say in general, I'm undecided. My take is, you know, I, I was an English major, so I'm not like a tech person deep down. I'm kind of a poet deep down, I guess, or something. Uh, and, uh, and so my take on it is that it's a new way to organize information more efficiently. And there's always an application for that. It's sort of the, you know, I'm, I'm 51. And I remember when the Apple IIe came out and I got one and we messed around with it. And it was like, wow, this is crazy how, how much better this is than anything else we have. I fully expect this to be along those lines. Um, and, uh, and we have a senior person on our staff who's in a room messing around with it every day, trying to figure out how do we, how do we use this uh, for good that where it's actually helpful and not just uh, uh, creating sort of, you know, look, there's a lot of content and things these things create, but it's sort of this generic gobbledygook content that we all read and roll our eyes at. Um, I think what it'll probably do is make simple, mundane tasks um, a little bit cheaper and a little, and probably a lot faster. And uh, all of us will get to focus on the higher value things that we would rather be doing anyway. 
Yeah, I, I've been looking into kind of the AI schedulers and that where they learn your processes and, um, you know, help with prospecting in that, not calling the people, but, you know, giving you the people to call. Um, and I think that's a really interesting application of it where I don't feel like it, you know, for me, the writing part of it is it runs, I'm a journalist, it runs into ethical issues to me if people are using um, that to write their stories or, you know, um, property listing descriptions are a little bit different, but, you know, it kind of all goes along to the same. Do you disclose it? Do you not disclose it? Um, you know, how does that work? So it'll be interesting how these applications move forward in real estate. Agreed. I mean, you know, we, we've, we've faced some of that with things like virtual assistants and, and some of the other things that are kind of a, a, a step in that direction, but not a full, you know, full step. And, you know, what should the real estate agent be doing and what can they outsource? You know, ultimately, we want our real estate agents uh, doing the high value stuff, the things that can't be replaced by uh, a machine. Um, talking to people, walking them through their issues, managing the negotiations and the stress of the transaction. So anything that makes their time, you know, and uh, more efficient and, and, and allows them to, you know, make more money and also frankly, enjoy their life more. I mean, I don't think any agent is, you know, getting up in the morning fired up to put the, you know, language into a, a, a listing. It's just something you have to do to get to the part of a job you like to do. So, you know, if we can figure out a way to do that, that, um, you know, is, is, is ethical and crosses no lines. I think that's the kind of thing that should be outsourced if we can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and kind of, it, this maybe isn't necessarily a technology topic, but um, where do you see the most opportunity for brokerage um, moving forward? Well, I think the opportunity we're already headed in this direction is having a, uh, you know, an integrated real estate company where, you know, the title insurance and the mortgage and, and, and the property casualty insurance are all part of the package. It's not just about margin compression and money. It's also about like ease of use. You know, for example, you know, we've had more than one instance where something is going on with a title uh, uh, issue with one of our clients and, um, you know, it'll it'll be a phone call to me saying essentially, hey, we need to waive a fee here or we need to do something. You know, we, ha we have a hiccup in the, in the system and it's just a quick yes. And then they're on, you know, whereas they might not feel empowered, you know, in a company where it's separate to be able to waive that $300 fee or whatever it is. And um, and it's not that the I think the client, uh, the home buyer or seller cares so much about the three hundred dollars. It's the hassle factor. And they just we just can wave away a hassle. So I think that's probably the opportunity. And with that comes complexity, comes regulation. You know, you have to disclose all that. You have to be very careful not to uh, confuse the consumer or manipulate the consumer. But personally, I think that's where most of the bigger companies are headed. Yeah, absolutely. And you had mentioned earlier about the, you know, the middle ground um, broker, uh, you know, middle sized, I guess you'd say. And I know Steve Murray wrote about that for Real Trends years ago, basically as a trend, um, you either need to be boutique or you need to scale um, because like you said, it's Death Valley in the middle. And that 
is the same with the services that you provide, you know, diversifying your services. Because the truth is, I know we've done studies on this, um, despite margin compression, brokers are, you know, finding a lot of different ways to stay profitable or and earn money um, outside, you know, with with tangential services and that. So, it, it all is not lost with with margin compression in the residential side um, as well. So, so yeah, yeah. And I mean, look, I'm personally happy to see you know financial institutions and companies when 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 we started buying. That's when Berkshire Hathaway really pushed in a lot of chips into the space. And I turned to my partner and I said, "Well, if Warren Buffett's doing it, we must there must be money in it somewhere, right?" Uh, and also, that's the type <laughs> of group that understands how to set a business up right and uh, protect margin and uh, add value and add service for people. So, uh, you know, uh, the home buyers, the agents, everyone up and down the line will pay for good service. And if you provide it, um, you can absolutely make money in all parts of this business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you? So are there any changes in the real estate environment that would cause you to change the way you operate now or add new services? Are there any different services you're seeing, you know, that I know there are, there's been re- renovation services, things like that, that some brokers are adding, um, you, you know, is, tell me about that. Where are you seeing the business go and are there any new services that you might consider or that you're seeing out there that are interesting? You know, we have talked about and have dabbled in, you know, moving services, you know, services that help people transition into senior living communities and 55 plus communities. Um, we're watching those spaces. I think it's interesting anytime you can help people transition into their first uh, house uh, and what, you know, sorts of tech and services are available there. I, I have always wanted to just be careful that we didn't have too many things going on. You can feel a little bit like a uh, a guy trying to sell a bunch of different watches in Times Square, you know, you're opening up your lapel and, you know, what do you want? It's like, let's, let's do a few things really well and not just have like 18 different things we're throwing at people. So we've been slow, you know, we, we only have title and property cash insurance. We've been looking for the right mortgage solution. We've tried a couple of folks and that industry is, uh, every bit as challenging to get your arms around as brokerages, if not more. Um, I think once we have the big three kind of under under wraps, uh, we will probably push into that. But, you know, we have a sizable relocation apartment uh, as well. And that's a great, you know, service that we have. Um, and I think the industry will probably find more and more ways to connect all this stuff to have kind of a soup to nuts concept. Um, but, uh, you know... Some of the smaller companies just quite aren't aren't quite there yet. You know, when we hand that off to an agent, they don't want to hear that they're in a beta. They want to hear that, hey, this is completely organized, and your home buyer or seller is going to get a great product here. And what about property management? Are you uh, doing any property management? We are um, because we're in Florida. You almost can't be not be in property management if you're in uh, brokerage in Florida. So we have a, a decent sized operation uh, there. Uh, in, uh, Illinois and Indiana, we just dabble in it a little bit. It's, um, you know, it's frankly more fun in, <laughs> in the warm states where you're dealing with vacationers and short-term rentals. Um, people, people need that service. It's a little less grindy than kind of long-term, uh, rentals, uh, in the yeah. Midwest. 
Now, we're, I'm in Florida, so I'm in Orlando. Where um, where are you in, in Florida? So we have uh, six offices in the Tampa area, Tampa Clearwater area. We have three offices uh, on the east side of the state, Port St. Lucie, Indy Atlantic, and um, Vero Beach. And then we have uh, offices in uh, all of the Keys. We have five offices in the Keys. So not particularly geographically co- uh, contiguous, and it's partially, again, you just go where the people are. So, you know, in our case, um, you know, we followed the Midwesterners to Florida, pretty simple. We asked all our agents, where are they retiring? You know, where are they getting dual licensed? And it was Florida and Arizona resoundingly. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Tampa's a wonderful city. We'd love to be in Orlando. We just haven't found the right opportunity there yet. Yeah. Yeah, Vero is a great place too. It's definitely a hot place to to move to right now. Yeah, the Space Coast. Um, you know, we we love everything. You know, from Jacksonville down to you know to West Palm. We just think there's a lot of interesting cities and communities there. Clearly, uh, the billionaires have uh, started you know trying to go to Mars. So there's a lot of money and rocket scientists uh, going on over there. And the housing stock is still pretty reasonable uh, if you get you know immediately off the beach. Uh, there's plenty of, you know, reasonable housing stock there, which is why keep, people keep moving to Florida. <laughs> exactly. Um, so my last question is just finally, what's next for Century 21 and, and Elm, Elmdale? Well, what's next is we're always very growth minded. So, you know, Elmdale will continue to push in. Like I said, I think our, you know, this year it's really focused on getting a mortgage uh, figured out. And we've got a couple ideas around that. And on the Elmdale side, uh, we will continue to grow in the self-storage space. We love that space and uh, probably uh, move into the Carolinas soon. I vacation a lot in Hilton Head and have just been dying to find a way to incorporate my uh, golf addiction with my real estate addiction. Sounds good. Well, Tom, thank you so much for joining the Real Trending podcast and offering your insights into the industry. Tracy, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Real Trending. If you haven't already, we'd love it if you'd take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. And we will see you next week with more news and insights.